Hello and welcome to Entmoot, the Battle Games in Middle Earth podcast all about the Middle Earth strategy battle game from Games Workshop. I'm Harry and this is episode 40. It's a nice round number, it's a biggie, it's not 50, but it's pretty good. It's a round number and it's going to be an exciting episode because this is the first part of my three-part Ardacon coverage. That's right. If you've never encountered Ardacon before, um, well, rewind two years and you'll uh, be able to listen to three parts of Entmoot. I can't remember the numbers, because I should have looked that up before I started recording. But either way, uh, you'll be able to get a bit of a taster. But to summarise it, usually it's got 240 or so people uh, playing toy soldiers. Usually it's the biggest SBG tournament in the world. Usually it's got people coming from as far afield as Canada, America, Australia, and all across Europe. And usually... It's an absolute amazing time where people from across the globe can uh, meet each other and share in this fantastic hobby that we enjoy, usually. (laughs) But of course, the last year and a half has changed things ever so slightly um, because, of course, uh, travel restrictions mean that much of that can't happen. Uh, Australia definitely can't come. They're not allowed to leave the country, apparently, or or leave the house, I think, at the moment, sadly. So, big shout out to everyone down under um, for for being locked down again. Um, But also, across Europe, across America, across Canada, and the UK has its very own unusual uh, vaccine-related rules. So, even though people have been jabbed twice, apparently you can't come without them being jabbed from the right place, and things like this. So, it's all a bit of a mess. But hopefully there will still be Dozens of players uh, at uh, the, the the big tournament Ardcon and uh, the preceding tournaments over the next few days, and I will be providing coverage of all of this excitement. Um, I've got the preceding tournament, which is the English SBG System Open, which is essentially a tournament that will uh, that will give a, a winner free ticket to Ardacon, um, which is pretty exciting. Um, I'll get a, get a discount or refund or whatever. Um, either way, that's pretty cool, and I'm here for that. I'm going to go for that. I'm actually at the hotel right now. I'm recording this right now. Um, and then there's going to be doubles and uh, Chaos and Arda, which will be the second part of the podcast with Michael, teaming up later in the uh, week. And then there'll be a big team event, which we've got the Entmoot team. It's a moot. It's a gathering of sort of slow people who are sort of, you know, a bit angry once they've been woken up. Oh, that's that's what I'm assuming, anyway. Um, so that's exciting, and we'll hear from all that in a couple of episodes' time. But in the meantime, we've got this one. And coming up on this episode, we have the English SBG system open, and here's a flavour of what is coming. Oh, speak friend and then... Yeah. bodies just kept rolling in. Roll better for move-offs as a key. <laughs> he was trapped. Mm-hmm. Three dice with a re-roll. I just needed, what, a four or more? It was a three Ooh. you needed. <laughs> uh, could I do that? No. no. Of course you couldn't, Michael. And this is why I'm your doubles partner. <laughs> well, I only hit him three times and he took a wound every time, which is kind of lucky. What are you working on? You know I can't tell you that. Ooh, very short and sweet. Exciting. Right, OK, with that in mind, we need to build an army. Okay, so I teased ahead to this in the previous episode of Entmoot. Um, I was basically saying, I'm heading off to Articon. Give me tips. Tell me what to do. I want to do the Easterlings. And then people was 
emailing and messaging me saying, don't do the Easterlings if you want to win. It's a bad idea. No, they didn't really say that. Um, I've just, I've been painting this Easterling army literally since um, March of 2020. And it's been an actual labor of love. It's one of those, it's actually probably the first army in a long time that I've enjoyed painting every single model every single model it's been an absolute joy I've done the traditional red and gold and um, I, I just love it I just love it so much and it's one of those ones that I've even painted the archers that I'm not going to use ever probably and I've even like I've painted far too many cataphracts and I've just painted so many models and you know like three captains and three banners I don't need to but I've painted them all because I love them so much. I really, really have. And I don't talk about hobbying enough on this podcast um, because it's, I, I think it's a very visual medium um, talking about painting. And it's tricky because you, uh, you know, you want to see the pictures and I don't always remember to share them on the Facebook feed and stuff like that. But I love, love my Easterling models and I'm so proud of how well they've come out. And um, it's a weird one because I was really proud of Amder and the Dragon Knight when I painted them two years ago for a different tournament where I took a random assortment of chariots and Amder and Dragon Knight and uh, Kamul and stuff like that and um, basically I've, I've since painted all of the models and like the last warrior I painted is just twice as good as the first Amder and you know what it's one of those situations where I think am I just buy a new Amder and paint him because I really like painting Amder I might even just buy another Riesling army and paint them in a different colour scheme, I just love it anyway, so I've really enjoyed putting it together, so that's the context for the army um, it's not really a, 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 you know, a competitive list having said that you may have heard a couple of episodes ago uh, two or three I think maybe and if you're a regular listener of the Green Dragon podcast, hi to the lockdown Aussies, um then you may well uh, remember that I was set a challenge by uh, Kylie of the Green Dragon Podcast to give her an army list that I thought that she could take to victory. And I gave her something along the lines of what I'm about to tell you now. So, and actually it's been improved ever so slightly by her, or she's sort of given me tips anyway. I don't know whether I did exactly what she said, but thereabouts. So Kylie, apologies if you think this is... Um, not as good as you would do but you know that's just the thing of these that's just the way of the world so okay right with that in mind here's the army it is led by general amder for 145 points on an armored horse amder he's got the strike he's got the challenge i think he's got resolve probably he's got most of them i don't use um and he has an elven blade which is good fight six which is great uh he's got strength four which is good defense six which is not very good uh he's got three might three will and one fate not so great but you know the other two are all right and three wounds three wounds that's right i think it's right anyway uh i hope so and um he's good and he always a banner as well and he's got blood and glory so uh, so he can if he kills a hero he gets a point of might back and there's some other rules that I can't remember like if he gets knocked over he gets a 4 plus and I can't remember what it's called uh, and he stands up so stuff like that he's good he's good we like Amder he's not like the most killy but he's good he's solid he's not bad right so with that in mind oh and he's I, another thing I keep forgetting he's got lots of special rules um, he, if someone strikes at him he can get a free strike back and if you've already called a heroic combat and someone strikes you and you're like, actually, I think I might want to strike, you can do that. You just change. It's great. That's really good. So, Amda. 
Then, accompanying Amda, we have... What do we have? We have five Eastling Warriors with shield. Eight points each, 40 points. Defence six, fight three, courage three. You know, bog standard. They're actually quite, pretty cheap. I think eight points is not bad. I could I can take that. That's not bad. Then, two Eastling Warriors with pike and shield for nine points each. That's 18 points. They're just pike, normal ones. Then... Five black dragons with pike and shield. Now, this is where it starts getting pricey. 11 points for a fight four fella, defense six still, um, and a courage four. So it's still a little bit expensive. Now, I've done them with like black shield, um, sort of the middle of the shield is black, and, and he's got a little black tassel on the back as well, and black pikes, so that I know which ones are which. And um, 11 points. And that's, I think that's the price of a, what, an elf? Rivendell elf? So, you know, they're not as good as them. Um, but anyway, I've got five of them. And then I've got two Dragon Cult Acolytes. Now, these are new boys. Um, I've done three of them with, like, sleeves. But the rest of them have got, like, really nice big biceps, which I love painting. So Dragon Cult Acolytes, they're fight four, two attacks. Defense four, pretty weak on that. But, you know, courage four, and they've got throwing weapons. So they're pretty good. So that is a decent warband uh, led by Amda. Then we've got a War Priest. 60 points um war priests can cast blade wrath which means uh, which is on a six inch range on a two plus you turn a friendly person to strength six which is pretty cool and he's also got fury um, which is useful if there's going to be lots of terror around so that'll be nice uh, then we've got in his warband we've got two eastling warriors with shield four black dragons with pike and shield and then two dragon cult acolytes so uh, uh, eight warriors basically four on the front and then four with pikes behind. So that's vaguely the idea if they get caught out in the maelstrom or something like that. Finally, no, not finally. Warband number three, Dragon Knight with Armoured Horse, 80 points. Glass Cannon, two points of might, no will or fate, so no. hopefully there's no magic or, you know, crossbows. Um, and then, he's eight, but he's got three attacks and he's got the Blood and Glory and he's got two points of might, so he's pretty pretty nice, pretty nice. He's killy. Then, Black Dragon Cataphract with them. 16 points. He has to be Black Dragon, although I might... I don't know whether I would or wouldn't. But either way, you pay the extra point or two, and he gets to be Fight 4, which is not bad. Then, a Black Dragon Cataphract with Wardrum for 31 points. Wardrum is a big part of this list. It makes me move fast, and... That's that's it, actually. It only makes me move fast. But it's very good. 12-inch range. Everyone adds three or five inch uh, to their movement, and you can't charge. But greatly, unlike marches, you can move things first before the wardroom, and they don't have to end within range of the wardroom. They still can't charge though. So pretty good there. Finally, we've got a Candish king in a chariot for 125 points, which is just awesome, and two Candish horsemen for 13 points each. Candish horsemen, great. Two bows, cheapest bows. Um, well, they're not the cheapest bows, but they're pretty cheap bows, and they've got axes, and they fight four. And the cavalry, which is pretty good. I like that. I like that a lot. Then uh, Canish King and Chariot, just, I mean, he's, that's just an absolute beast. Three attacks, four on the charge. He's fight five. He's got an axe, so he can piercing strike. He's got Chariot, which does two impact hits. Strength four. As soon as you touch something, it's strength four, and then you just chop through things until you keep, you stop. He has to sort of pivot around a bit, but he's pretty good. I like him. He strikes. He's got two points of might, two points of will, and a fate. But also really cool, the chariot is has a defensive bulwark, which means it's really hard to hit the guy on top. On a 5+, even in combat, uh, you uh, you have to be able to hit the king and the chariot defense 7. So 
there's lots of stuff going for it and I just love I love the chariot it's very temperamental in practice games uh, against Tim shout out to Tim um, the chariot did some really good stuff and some also really bad stuff like it churned through elves and bounced up against orcs or Moran and orcs so it could go either way but either way there you go 30 points sorry 30 models 700 points and we've got two four five eight points of might we've got three bows one on the king and we've got a few throwing weapons we have four throwing weapons in total so what do you think i think it's pretty good i like it um i don't know whether it's going to be amazing 30 point uh, 30 models is pretty low but then i've got four cavalry and three cavalry heroes so i like the the idea of it is move fast kind of deny the flank this is a move that i'm hoping i'll be able to pull off at least once or twice later in the tournament basically it's you set up like you've got a normal line and then you hope that the enemy puts a warband on the left a warband in the middle and a warband on the right and then what you do is you drum and then you send everything over to one side and then they're going like ah crumbs and then you just smash your one anvil uh, your one hammer onto the anvil of the left hand side of the thing and then you just overwhelm them suddenly and then by the time the second half of their army actually can get over to the other half you're fighting a, a, you know two thirds of an army with your whole army and you've you've just done the job and also then you can send off a drummer or whatever and he can run off for the objectives and things like that so that's the idea of this army I've got a war priest. The war priest, I think, actually could be very helpful because I found in the past that dragon knights and Amda just struggle to kill. Um, you know, they're strength four, which is great, but it's not great, 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 is it? It's, you know, if you're coming up against dwarves, for example, or something else that's defense seven, I don't know, um, then you just kind of ride into it. You roll, maybe if you are going against one guy, you got the four dice. You knock them over. You're looking for the sixes, and if it's two dice, uh, that you know that's that's possible against one guy. But with a hero, you want to be charging two, right? So two, you're looking for two sixes off eight dice. It just doesn't happen often enough. So, um, but when you've got a strength six, Amder or Dragon Knight, now we're talking. So that's when you can start going. Okay, I can take out two guys with ease, heroic combat, and be confident of the heroic combat and then move into another two guys and suddenly you've got like aha I've got four kills and I've moved real fast and my dragon knight's in an awkward place or whatever so that's what the idea so we'll see if if it works I think um, from practice games the war priest has been quite good but it's not been I don't think I used it quite well enough in the practice games but I think I might be getting on the way to understanding how the army works maybe by the end of the tournament I'll be okay with it which is handy because in a couple of episodes time I'm going to be taking this but with slightly less points. With that in mind, there's no riddle in the dark this time, so let's go on an adventure up to Ardicon and see if we actually do any good with this thing. Fingers crossed. Mr. Robo, where are you off to? Stop, I'm already late. Late for what? I'm going on an adventure. (laughs) 
So, first game of the English SBG System Open uh, here at the, the Articon Suite. It's looking amazing, as ever, with the chandeliers hanging off the ceiling. And for first game, we've got Neil here with me. And Neil, uh, just first of all, um, tell me a bit about your army. What have you got? And um, also, did you fancy your chances? Well, um, so we've got... Uh Elves, uh, Rivendell, Numenor, and we have uh, Isildur as the leader with the twins and Kerda, making for 30 models. Um, yeah, and you've, and you've got, it's, it's sort of balanced quite nicely because you've got a, a good contingent of Numenorians with the, uh, uh, with what's his name, so Isildur. Um, so you've actually got a fair amount of the, the strength four in there, which ha- helps a bit. Yeah, especially against uh, your army of Easterlings. Uh, D6 against strength four, of course, it's uh, very valuable. Um, you had a good war priest though, so Kurdan's uh, aura of dismay is not quite as effective as it mm. could have been. Yeah. So when when you when you saw the army over the other cha- over side of the table, you know uh, Easterlings are sort of renowned for not being the most competitive of armies. But but what did you think? Did you have a plan? Um, considering this is Storm the Camp, so it's a very movement based army. I've got uh, a lot more cavalry. I've got the drum. Um, what was your plan going into it? Um, so I, I recognised you uh, way quicker than I was. So I'm like, if, it, if anything's going to be getting through, it's going to be maybe a here around the edge or maybe a couple of troops moving all the way over there. But actually, my plan at the end of the day was just to break and wound leader because um, he was way faster than I. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's the uh, the thing, and and you you quite cleverly um, targeted relatively early on the um, the war priest. Uh, sorry, the uh, the first the dragon knight and the drum, and um, and then once those guys had gotten through, uh, sort of down, I think you could rest a little bit easier, knowing that I wasn't going to launch some cavalry around the side and drum my way to victory with just the drum. Um, but uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't an easy win for you, would, would you say, or do you think it was? I mean, it ended up four nil to you. Uh, no, I think it. it <laughs> It went down to actually quite a couple of move-offs in the end. Um, but there was one key move-off, which um, I got. The first one where the chariot goes in, and that's always going to be very key. Mm. Um, so I managed to um, get a Dragonite early and a, um, and a and a chariot early, which was, was basically what the game was in the end really yeah I, I think the, the chariot base uh, is so big that you could fit easily fit um, it was both the twins in the end wasn't it and um, and also uh, crucially Isildur jumped off his horse took, put the ring, uh, had the ring on already uh, and so he was he was well in the way and um, he'd he, he, he kind of uh, obviously made the, the two points of might on the king pretty much redundant So because, uh, you know, I couldn't strike up and, and do anything uh, to combat you. So once you'd done that and you'd taken away the Dragonite and the king, it was two big threats gone down pretty early on. So I was relying on Amda for the moves, for the fighting, for things, and then I ended up deciding, well, Amda's just going to run away, I think. <laughs> yeah, that, that was pretty much it. And then it was me just playing defence, and then that was, that was game, wasn't it? Yeah, so. exactly. And we just that we played it to the end eventually you broke me on just the penultimate turn I think it was in the end and uh, it, we, we did as you say the drum really helped put the pressure on because it meant we were pushed very much into your corner and I think if I'd have played slightly differently I might, and maybe a bit more defensively I might have been able to hold off for a draw but I don't think it was ever going to be a, a, a big win to me unless I managed to poke some stuff around the edges maybe one more turn I've got a cataphract uh, uh, sorry a, a Candish horseman that's threatening the base again but you've got so many big um, big heroes that are pushing in still it would have been very difficult and w- I, I think the, might, the early might advantage just pushed that didn't mm. it I think that was that, that was key yeah you've got nine might plus Kurdans is ten and I've got Eight or something. So, so uh, yeah, I, think I, got, I got ten. Yeah. So I got twins. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but what, what do you think I should have done differently? Is was there anything I could have done to 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 stave off this victory? To you. 
maybe played a touch wider. I think I struggle. Uh, Miami's quite bubbly. Mm. Um, and so therefore, the wider you are, the trickier I find it to deal with some of the dudes. Mm. Potentially maybe uh, less bubble. <laughs> Roll better for move-offs is the key. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Top-notch game there with Neil, game one. Um, a slightly truncated interview there. Apologies, you heard it. You sort of lost a second there as I got a battery warning. And then right at the end, uh, it cut us off. But So I've trimmed off a couple of seconds. Uh, we talk a bit longer. But we were pretty much um, uh, summed up. But a 4-0 victory against... Um, uh, well, to, not to me. Uh, from Neil against me. And... I actually, it sounds silly, but I was quite happy with that um, because I think I played it right after I, I had my two heroes absolutely destroyed. Um, I just, I just there, was, there didn't seem like there was much I could do um, with Amder and the Dragon Knight and the Chariot against two elven superheroes and um, Isildur with the ring. Having thought about it differently, I think I've heard people speak about Easterlings as being sort of hero assassination crews. And I think that's true to an extent, but I think the heroes you need to be assassinating are captains and kings and, you know, lower tier heroes like your gore bags and your, your, you know, that sort of stuff. And then mopping up the might points from them because they can dominate those. But I kind of think that's the same with most heroes, but they just get the might back. So it's, it's, it's a good idea to do those things. But really, I, I think... I needed to be churning through the troops in this one, especially with Amder. Um, but either way, it was a good game. And I think once I'd lost those heroes and Amder ran away, that was when I started clawing back the points or started clawing back the opportunity to win the points. Sadly, Storm the Camp is one of those ones that if you start, if you have to change your strategy halfway through the game um, and opt for something different, it's probably too late. And it was. Um I think if I'd have adopted an avoid the hero strategy, I, I might have been able to wangle it early on. But then I suppose, you know, they'd have, the heroes have been chomping through my troops instead. So I, I don't know what I was doing right uh, or wrong there, but I think I might have, if I'd have played it a bit differently, I might have might have got there. And I think I it was just twisted on the last turn. So maybe if I just held out one turn longer with the troops and uh the uh, and things like that then maybe i'd have i'd have been able to push a draw but uh I, either way either way or maybe if i had a couple of turns more i'd have got more more room uh, with the guys in but either way uh, it was an interesting game with neil and um I, I, he had a tough army and he's a tough opponent so um it was good to uh, it's good to stretch stretch the legs in the first game with that in mind let's go straight into games 2 and 3 on day 1 of the english sbg system open so Game number two, uh, and we're playing a familiar voice, a familiar friend here at uh, Ardicon. It's Michael. Welcome back. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to the podcast. And um, so this is, I think, probably the third or maybe fourth time we've played head-on, but um, obviously we've been doubles uh, before. So first of all, you we know it's the scenario has seized the prize. We've got I've got a fast-moving drumming army. You've got Lurtz's scouts. You've got forty-something models and um, all that sort of stuff. What did you think when you saw what you were up against? Did you fancy your chances? 
I thought there was a chance. A lot would depend on who got to the centre first and whether they managed to pick up the prize. And then it's a question of whether they can protect it or even squeak it a bit further forward. So a lot would depend on roll-offs and uh, and, and just, yeah, as all things, it's a dice game. So how the dice was going to roll. Yeah, I think that that is true. And I think I had a slight advantage because although you had March in your army, you don't have the drummer uh, for the force. So you've got three banners, you've got 40 models, about 10 bows, alerts, Malher, Ugluk and a captain so you've got the march but I think maybe the, bat, the drum might have helped you out here De- certainly in this scenario but you got there to the front and I, I managed to get to the front too and ended up getting the, the, um, the prize with the priest and I thought I thought I might have, might have tied it up there but every single turn or so after that the priest was in combat how did it go? It was, I mean, that, that roll-off in terms of Caesar Prize, for the war priest to get up there and you rolled that four-plus to pick up the prize, that was crucial. But the other thing that really determined this game was the terrain. Mm. Um, in the centre of the board, we had two of those wonderful Osgiliath ruins that Games Workshop do in parallel mm. to the centre. So that means even when the war priest picked it up, because I'd been able to get up there quite quickly, even without the drum, because I used to heroic march, it meant I could get on you quite quickly and mm. pin you down. So it gave you very limited room for manoeuvre um, so that was my only hope to try and pressurise you to try and get in there and get to the war priest which I did manage to do on a number of occasions not quite, yeah not quite well enough indeed but uh, I mean before we talk about those war priest combats which are of course crucial um, you're right you, you managed to swamp the centre and I did because of the drum I managed to get all of my easterlings into this probably eight, eight inch wide parallel gap and then close it off sort of and um, but then, of course, the bodies just kept rolling and in. And I don't think there were many heroes that were actually doing it. Lurtz, don't think he ever fought. Mm. I don't think he fought once. Um, Ugluk did quite close to the end and had a couple of combats. But it was mainly just troops wading into each other. And I think my pikes came into great effect here because I could stack them and just win the right combats occasionally and just held you back just long enough to, to not be so overwhelmed that it made, made me sort of collapse in on myself. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Lurtz was, he, he did one combat with others and got bounced back off, but the, 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 from my hero's perspective, it was Mahur was the key one, because mm. he came a bit behind um, and, and he managed to work his way through the troops, and he was the one at the end of the day that got to the war priest for the final day Newmort, which didn't quite come off. It didn't quite come on. But he, I suppose he's, he's usually the faster one isn't he and he's 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 meaty but he's is, is it two or three attacks i can't remember which way around it is three, three attacks three, yeah. okay and but he either way he did get in through to the center but there were so many little things that that were, that were really frustrating me one in particular was that um, i didn't win a roll off and i'll be honest <laughs> i know i hate hearing i hate hearing this in podcasts but it was true the dragon knight was also really boxed in i placed i placed him really badly in an earlier phase because i wanted to get him into the center to try and get to lurts and malher but because there was like just a line of Easterlings that weren't dying in front of him, which was a bit annoying, and the um, Urukai just kept kept pinning all those in place. The Dragonite was just standing behind and only fought once. He did kill someone, but once in the whole game is is poor for a, a hero-centric army like mine, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. And the other thing I was worried about was your chariot. Mm. And again, because of the, 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 the heroic roll-offs, most of them go my way, I think probably all of them go my way, and the way the priorities, only once did you get your chariot to do a charge and a trample mm. and even then it took a couple of, of, of Uruks out before it hit Ugluk as it were so um, yeah and, and again it's that 8 inch movement that the Uruk scouts have it meant I could when I did get the priority or when I did win the roll off I could get into that chariot mm. and stop 
pit causing mayhem. So uh, yeah. and it kept it out the way, kept it off of the one side, so I could concentrate on trying to get to the to the, the war priest with the prize. Mm, uh, yeah, let's let's get to that. So yeah, the the, the chariot. The, I I also did some bad moves with the chariot. To be honest, I I put some my own horses in front of it. So the following turn, I I couldn't even charge with them. But anyway, yeah, the the chariot underperformed. I think the dragon knight underperformed. Amda, he kind he did he did a lot of work, but he didn't really get the charge very often. The war priest outstanding in his field uh, not a scarecrow he's outstanding in his field but he's uh, he was he just just by pure luck really I mean he had a banner and that's it but he did a, a, a move off once he didn't cast any magic because he was always being charged because he always had the thing but I think he won two or three combats against a captain and a friend yeah. And then one combat against Mauher. Yeah. And just because I was lucky. Yeah, he, he was the star of the show from mm. your perspective. He got the prize and he was not going to give it up. No, and he, 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 did, no, he did lose one combat, didn't he? But mm. he just, by the skin of a, a you know, an, a roll of an Entmoot dice, flashed up that Entmoot logo on a six, and he passed his fate. And that's all he needed to last out the remaining five or <laughs> however many turns it had left. But either way, it was a cracking game. Uh, yeah. I managed to win 3-0 just because of that exact thing and it would have com- sw- switched over the other way if, yeah. it, if you'd it, have won it. It was that last combat. Maho got in there, got in the war priest. He was trapped. Mm-hmm. Three dice with a re-roll. I just needed, what, a four or more? It was a three Ooh. you needed. <laughs> uh, could I do that? No. no. Of course you couldn't, Michael. And this is why I'm your doubles partner. <laughs> <laughs> Stupidly. Um, I, yeah, that was, it was ridiculous and it should have happened and you didn't have as much might with him and they'd already gone. But either way... A three, a three on uh, four dice. You should should be able to managing that, but alas, it wasn't to be, and it meant a three nil victory by the skin of my teeth. But the key thing, it was a great game. It and was that, good. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, and it was it was very tense, and there were lots of toing and throwings and lots of things. And actually, most of the way through, I didn't really know who was going to win because I thought you were going to kill. The, the priest quickly. He should have died much earlier. And then I, I thought I was going to get the dragon knight to get it because I I had blood and glory heroes just waiting to take it off Mauher or the captain yeah but and then of course I thought the the blooming priest was going to last too long die and then you'd have it and I wouldn't have enough time to get it back but in the end he just carried on to the better end and that that made it and a fantastic game as ever Michael it was a very good game well done Harry thank you game number three of the English SBG system open and we're playing PMG that's Peter you may know him if you come to Ardacon as the guy at the door hello Peter you're right. hello speak friend and then yes indeed yeah and, and you're acting as ringer today because it's uneven numbers yeah so uh, uneven numbers and limited staff mean that I've had to step in last minute um, I was not prepared for wargaming but I did have an army so uh, we'll just see what my years of experience brought <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so well first of all um tell me uh, a bit about your army what what exactly have you got and we're playing capture and control so we're flipping objectives what did you think your chances were ahead of the game uh so i brought along barlin a dwarf king with two-handed weapon a dwarf captain with shield a whole host of khazard guard a couple of iron guard lots of dwarf warriors with dwarf bows and a few shields as well um, as for how I thought it was going to go, I was a little bit nervous. I've not played against the new Acolytes. They're really cool. Um, they definitely win fights, that's for sure. Um, and then you had a lot of fast stuff with real heavy hitters, which ended up stamping through me. Um, but my hope was that I could just hold some of the objectives and then just survive long enough, um, which 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which, uh, I mean, that's, that's exactly what happened. Um, I'll explain a bit about my, my strategy. So this is the uh, objective flipping. I, you deployed sort of warband one on the right, warband one on the middle, uh, two on the middle, and three on the left. And I decided I'm going to just use my superior speed and just move straight into one of the warbands. And my objective was take the back one, the left one, and then move to the, the rear, your rearmost objective and then sweep back into the middle. And obviously dwarves are high defence, so that is a risky manoeuvre. But it, it sort of has paid off, um, although the points line doesn't show that. I, we, I lost 9-4, but actually that was working generally, don't you think? Oh yeah, very much so. Um, it, it was probably more luck than anything that meant that I managed to keep the objectives I did. Um, you completely smashed the first one that you were taking um, and you were holding me up at, in the back of your field. And then when you came round to mine, I just had to dump a load of might in to take out the Yukandish King um, and then basically just desperately hold that point mm. whilst the rest of my army sort of just tied you up, survived as the stuff that was in the woods that was on the opposite flank uh, finally got round to you and I just outlasted you in places that was all it came down to well I mean defence 7 you do have a habit of outlasting people but the, I, I did leave like a, t- a 10 or so Easterlings at the back objective and they hold it for 3 or 4 turns there were 5 Khazard Guard and they kept winning combats but then they didn't kill anyone and then another 5 Khazard Guard arrived and they still kept winning combats amazingly but um, slowly the Khazard Guard just overwhelmed them pushed me back pushed me back until I lost the rear objective I I think I think tactically, I actually did some quite good stuff. I think I moved, I moved things in the right places, and I did. I used the heroes much better in this game than I have in the previous games. And you know, they assassinated the uh, dwarf king pretty quickly, and dragon knight got some might back. And then they moved on, and they just kept picking off individual targets. But it just it was a little bit slow, especially the warriors that were there. They just didn't quite churn through, and that's defense seven for you, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. I mean, your your heavy hitters, your cavalry, your characters, they. Were, they were demolishing things left, right and centre. You took out two out of the three characters, very nearly finished off Barlin, who is one of the tougher dwarf characters mm. anyway. Um, it was literally just... I, I had a couple of moments of opportunity that I'd accidentally created. Um, I will be honest, that mm. was accidental. Um, and just because I capitalised on them, you just couldn't get through Defence 7 fast enough. But like you say, that, that stuff in your backfield with the Khazards against the few Easterlings, you just kept winning fights. You just couldn't end the guys that were there. Mm. And even when I had reinforcements, you were still just winning all the fights. Um, but that being said, you did break my army. Mm. Um, like although you're saying, you've got 40-something models? 46 dwarves <laughs> with three characters at defense eight so uh, sorry one was defense seven two defense eight so you know it, it took a lot of going for you um, and I think that it was just that that massive tar pit of a situation and your your infantry just couldn't put things down fast enough to to keep up with the momentum and so things became a bit piecemeal it meant that I could target the Candish on his own um, the, the king and then Amdur and the dragon knights slightly got split in fights and mm. It just, I managed to start getting a couple of charges off that prevented you getting that charge bonus, which I think affected things a bit too. Absolutely, and, and yeah, they're much better on a charge, obviously, because they get the knockdown and things like that. I want to just talk, you mentioned the Candish King there, and that was a big move. I mean, I, I, I think I did the right thing. In, I had a heroic combat lined up with the King and the Amda and the Dragon Knight off something, and set, the idea was to send the King and, and a Candish uh, warrior all the way to the back objective, and they would have got it, or they were, they were very uh, close. I think I did have it for one turn, actually. Um, and, but then the King 
kind of overextended himself because he trampled through stuff. Like the impact hits killed a couple of guys, and he got into a dwarf captain. And there was a, there was a really cool moment that um, I, I debated Umdenard of spending one point of might to kill this captain, but he had two points of might, so it felt like it was a really good decision. But I, I was in a place where. I had a king with no might, and you had a Barlin and, and other guys. So it meant that you had the move priority. But I think you did. It, you pulled a great move, which was um, I, I was going to save them. Amdo and the Dragon Knight had charged into one warrior, and I had a chance of heroic combating, slingshotting round, taking Barlin out of the fight, and with Amdo, which would have been amazing. Barlin against Amdo in a charge, I'd, I think I'd have smashed him, or at least one um but then you called heroic combat and this is a really good i think it's a good learning point for anyone um even though you're not expecting you weren't expecting to kill the candish king calling that combat meant that you had a 50 50 chance of fighting first and therefore at least not losing barlin and moving away which was amazing you killed the king but then that allowed you to move on but i think if if a lesser person might have called a strike or something instead expecting the under but you 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 were very switched on yeah, definitely the generalship and not dumb luck. Um, <laughs> it was it was a big big gamble to go that route. Um, I just got dirt lucky that it paid off. Mm. Frankly, um, you you'd done everything perfectly there, like you say, um, and then I just I countered and some things just lined up and I just saw a clear tactic, mm. went for that, and it was kind of down to a roll off. I won the roll off, and that's what gave me the momentum. Yeah, because your heroic um, combat went first. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then you you were so close, like you say, you actually held that token um, for two, maybe even three turns. Mm. But I managed to claim it back because you only had one variag of canned on it, um, and then I just about managed to block it in like the last turn, so you couldn't quite get a drummer to it. Mm. Um, and it was it was all desperate moves almost playing for time like I wasn't stalling by any stretch um, it was a difficult game <laughs> um, well, but well, really really nice tactic you say playing for time I, I think you more it was just moving things in the right place to block things off you mentioned that last that's one that you block off a drummer and all that sort of stuff I mean uh, it, it, as it made a difference it was it's a moot point an end moot point almost um, <laughs> and and uh, that wouldn't have swung the tide but it was a combination of these tiny little moves like blocking off that objective like um, calling that heroic combat like having a, a, a iron guard in a doorway that meant that I, I was even it was even harder to kill him all of these things stack up to to a win and that is what a good player does and i think you played it brilliantly really appreciate that um i'll be honest i was quite nervous playing against you um i'm not known known for being a good player you know i don't know what this i might have taught james but he's good and i'm not <laughs> i i don't do i teach um but yeah like it was, as you say, just lots of little things, and I, I think it really highlights the importance of know the objectives and where the victory points come from. Um, I wasn't too fussed about trying to put wounds on Amda to get that point. I wasn't too fussed about trying to break you, although it would have been really nice. Um, I just went, well, I'm currently holding four, and that's eight victory points straight off the bat. It's difficult for you to sort of push back from that. Um, and so it was just constantly going, right, what do I do to keep this one? What do I do to keep this one? Um, and because I had the numbers and that high defence, I was able to defend those. Uh, there was one basically untouched from the start because it oh, was yeah, in the woods. <laughs> it was in the woods and I was like, I'm not going in there. <laughs> That's it, I'm just not. I, I was aiming for the other. If I'd have got, if, if, if it all went perfectly, I'd have held my rear objective just one more turn and I'd have gotten through everything quicker. But that's just the way of life and it went I think maybe if there was another turn or two it would have been fine but we timed out but maybe maybe things might have been different but as it was 9-4 to PMG great game
Thank you very much. Really enjoyed it. Um, definitely saw a lot of the strengths of the Eastlings there. One of my other armies, and I do struggle with them. So I learned some from you about how to use a different army. So thank you. Thank you. Two games there with Michael and PMG. PMG, absolutely great. I've uh, known him um, just sort of in passing quite a while and messaged him and all this sort of stuff, but uh, never actually um, really played him or, or knew he was a player, but he's had some very tactically astute um, decisions. And the loss there um, was, a, I, th I was relieved um, to lose uh, uh, in some ways because I felt like I learned an awful lot about my army in that last game. I think I played it really well, um, managed to kill it, a butt ton of dwarves considering um you know earlier on in the day i was i, I felt like i wasn't killing anything i, I think i just did, refocused my efforts amder and the dragonite killing um the dwarf king and then just sort of pootling around and just mopping up that flank and it was something that i'd mentioned uh, earlier on in the podcast about um, about basically just denying the flank and just charging that way. It really, really worked this time. Um, dwarves um, on an objective in the woods um, felt like a great way of, um, of winning this game by just denying that flank and moving in a sweeping round. Sadly, if I reckon if we'd have just... I say we. I'd have just sped up at the start and deployed everything on time, we'd have... You know, maybe had that extra ten minutes that I might have got an extra turn, and I might have twisted it back the other way. But that's you know, if it's some, if some butts were candy nuts, we'd all have a merry Christmas, and that's not the case. So that is day number one. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. It's it's getting late, and uh, I've got get, day number two playing Tom Wag. Um, looking forward to that game. Contest of champions against hmm, something nice and scary. No, not not really, actually. Corsairs. I'm really glad I'm deploying on the middle line for this one. Tactics-wise, I'm planning putting the chariot right in front of Amder and just churning through stuff. And then maybe even dismounting Amder and seeing if I can avoid being having throwing axes sent into, my, into me. So we'll see what happens. But ideally, it's a chariot straight into Dalamir and kill him in one go and then let Amder do some chopping. But... The best laid plans of mice and men. On to day number two. Game number four, day two of the English SBG system open here at the preceding Ardacan. And I've got Tom Wagg, member of the Impmoot team and uh, opponent. I think we've played a few times in the past. Five and six yeah, five, yeah, five or six. Well, okay, yeah, there you go. But um, first of all, um, we're playing Contest of Champions and you've got a Corsair gun line. Was Contest of Champions what you really wanted to be playing against me? Um, I don't really want to play Contest Champions against much, really. Um, it's not the... Uh, you have a good tactic to stop their hero killing stuff, but you run a risk of your lead, my leader not... He can kill stuff, but he's not good at going against other leaders. Yeah, exactly. So you're lining up in the centre and you think, oh, well, OK, Amder against the Dalamirs, probably. Uh, probably uh, Amder wins most of those fights, except you have a lot of crossbows. Just summarise your list. <laughs> Um, so it's Dalamar with six crossbows, three black nooms, um, and the rest of the warbands corsairs with shields and spears. It, up to eighteen, I think it's seven corsairs or eight corsairs in that one. Then we've got Dalgamar, no, no, no Dalgamir. Yeah, Dalamir and Delgamar. Delgamar, yeah. that's the one. I, um, and he's got it's your army, Tom. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and he's got five crossbows, three black nooms, and then another six corsairs. And then I've got Suladan with four Harad, no, eight Harad bowmen six with spears and 
six serpent guard and two serpent riders so it's a lot of models how many was it in total 45 50 51 51 okay 51 right so and that and of course we deploy in the middle and there was a lot of toing and throwing in the deployment which was good because there's this sort of open basically an open arena in the center which is uh, perfect for for battling and i i set up amda first right at the back of the deployment zone and i kind of cheekily said a few times oh yeah i can fit a chariot in there in front and and all that which made you hide your thing but then deployment went a bit differently i end up hiding the chariot around the corner putting a dragonite in front and things like that do you think that was the right move or should i have gone with the chariot right at the front no it was probably the right move um i guess it depends what i did with because there was a little wall i could hide behind you can hit me with the chariot from that position so you counter it rather well to put the chariot there you had two options where you put the chariot or depend on where i deployed um my thing it did make me wonder when you didn't choose the chariot as your second warband um because I was like, well, he's putting the chariot there, so why does he not just put there as a drop since it's obvious where it's going? Mm. But then you left it a few more deployments and... Keep you guessing. Yeah, basically. <laughs> well, it's because it's I wanted to see where the rest of your heroes lined up, and I thought if I put the Dragonite in a different spot and I wanted to make the War Priest sure the War Priest was in the right spot to help Amder out. As it happened, I mean, and this is, this is just the Corsair strategy... It, it, the main thing was was your gun line, and I really wanted to stop that gun line. So I sent the chariot around the side with the intention of marching into uh, into the thing. But I made a bit of a deployment faux pas, I suppose, because I, I, he was out of range of the heroic move, which meant that um, I moved some cavalry in, and I kind of had, had a choice. I'm going to charge with my own guys or... Um, or, or, or just not charge anything and I decided to charge my own guys but I didn't do anything so it was a bit of a waste but do you think that that was a big error because I could have charged straight the way through yeah you might have sh- sh- should have decided if um, he was within six of mm. someone who's going to call a move and you didn't want to call a move with the chariot because you wanted to march so you got more movement mm. and it didn't mean all your guys were in the way yeah. otherwise that's... I suppose I, if I didn't I'd... move them then it would have been fine didn't it they could have just stayed out of, out of the way no because i had a serpent rider that could uh, charge you that's why you did it i yeah. think um, yeah yeah that's that's right yeah okay but but st- still there, there was an umming and ahhing and i did eventually get like one or two bumps off with the chariot but crucially I, and i got a lot of those early roll-offs and, it, and i could sense your frustration because you were losing so many roll-offs after roll-offs and, and you fluffed a, a heroic strike with Suladan, which meant yeah. the king had the potential for killing dalamir luckily you um you did the heroic defense which meant i only took the one wound off dalamir but from there not I did two in the end, yeah, two. And you had done one from the chariot charging as well. Yes, that's right. So, so, so he was very close to dying. But then it suddenly kind of, the, the, the roll-off started going your way, and it meant that you could pin Amdur down with one guy every turn. And, and that, that was kind of it. Once, once that happened, you just you had nine or however many crossbows plus the, the bows at the back, and you just used the old Corsair strategy of just shoot whoever, uh, shoot the combat. If you hit me, great, because you kill, take the wounds off. And if you hit the enemy, I can't hurt combat or do anything. Yeah, basically. Um, I think I'm still a bit tournament rusty because I wasn't thinking about how the game ended and mm. I probably should have tried to get more kills in yeah. before killing you. Um, I, where the roll-offs, the important roll-offs that mattered to the game was in your favour. Um, the other bog-standard combats, I was winning, killing quite a lot. Mm. Um, luckily in Contest Champions, it's... They didn't matter much, but having extra models on the board would help you for other yeah, things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if my guys were killing, if, if even if the Dragon Knight or, or any of the guys had done any more damage, I think only, what was it, 15 or 12 or 13 I killed in the end, so not even halfway, uh, halfway to, to breaking you. But, but you did your Corsairs, when they, when they get the right combats, they just slowly churn away, especially once you started 
my line started collapsing you started getting the traps and therefore the backstabbers and, and it just suddenly rolled on but you're right you're you, you kind of almost seemed like you'd not forgotten about um getting the kills but that you just didn't leave yourself enough time no no i just killed too much um i even got my point back that i didn't even end up using by killing the dragon knight by smoke bombing yeah yeah, which was annoying because I, I was like, oh, he, he's going to charge two people to get the, the points for the, um, for the contest champion. I was like, oh, we're going to throw the smoke bomb in. And, and then you were like, oh, wait, smoke bomb? I can get the Dragon Knight for this. And then you got the bomb. And actually, maybe if you, you should have killed the two guys because yeah. that would have uh, got the points. I thought the might was going to be useful. Um, and, and yeah, it probably was useful in the end. But the, um, in the, the end, the score tally was Amda had killed three and um, Delamar, uh, D- Dalamir had also scored three so it was drawn on the contest but crucially you got those two points for the break which gives you a 2-0 win yeah I got the break it's just a shame um, you don't get leader kills unless it's your leader because I did crossbow down in the end yeah Hamda fell to so many bow bows well I only hit him three times and he took a wound every time which is kind of lucky yeah it was a bit annoying actually but you'd, you'd <laughs> taken his horse off early on so he had reduced killing and moving power which was annoying but actually I don't think he would have got a charge after that anyway after that initial um, loss of the horse so he just and I, even more annoying I was casting the um, blade wrath on him so I gave him strength six two turns in a row when I had the uh, chance to uh, before the war priest started getting charged and and you know he never got to use his strength six he never got to actually do any I did it once yeah but I only killed one because you got a Numenorean and oh and yeah he combat into the two more and then killed them but still uh, that was all I got the one Numenorean and three and there's so much killing power there and I mean it's it's a great way to play Corsairs it's really frustrating to play against yeah I imagine I I don't know if I'll take it again. I might. I'm taking it at reduced Articon later in the thing because I've got it with me, but I don't know if I'll take it again. I might, because I paid it off, I might take it to an event or change it slightly, but maybe go more Corsairs and drop the Harad part. So... Well, having said that, though, the, the Harad banner at Suladan was good. He didn't get to do a lot of fighting, really, and the one important thing he did, he fluffed. But uh, his six-inch banner was absolutely vital um, for the whole game. So I, I think it's a really strong list. Um, and obviously, deployment contests the champions. If it, was, if it was a different kind of deployment, I think you'd have shot me off the board pretty quickly. I've got a drum, but either way, I think the heroes would be pretty dead pretty quickly. Yeah, the heroes either lost their horse or... I kill four or six guys and then you pretty much two to one yeah. and I surround and kill your phalanx because if you do go three deep, it's easier to surround it. Yeah, and I did try and sort of occupy the only line, but the, the gap between the two terrain pieces is probably 12 inches, so it just was too wide to actually be able to uh, cement down a position that I could properly defend and use my phalanx to the advantage. But um, the, the chariot did some work and it, and it certainly threatened and... and nearly kills your leader but it wasn't quite enough it was just the heroic defence I suppose because uh, that, that, that won it and, and I rolled 8 dice and got 1-6 off it so when I, two sixes uh, and, and oh yeah because you fated one of them and yeah either way he was very close to dying and uh, but it was a good game Tom 2-0 victory is a victory nonetheless yeah. <laughs> cheers good game cheers Right, it's lunchtime on day two of the English SBG System Open, and I've got the man himself, it's James Clark, the architect of Ardacon. How are you doing? I feel very built up after that. <laughs> what good. an intro. Yeah, thank you very, very much. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Well, it's, it's great to be here on the, the, the preceding event. It's like a kind of a warm-up event, and um, with a, a chance of winning a, a sort of free ticket to the main event, which is really exciting for, for the, the, those people who are here. And I'm not excited about winning the free ticket, 
it anymore after having lost a few games. But it's still exciting. Um, so first of all, I, you know, it, this has been a long time coming. Like it's eighteen months in the in in the planning, if not well, two years, I suppose, because you would have started planning almost straight away at the end of the last one. How does it feel to be in the hall set up with all the tables, the chandeliers dangling from the ceilings looking glorious and the sound of Lord of the Rings soundtrack playing in the background? At this moment, very serene and relaxing. I I don't think I've ever been so chilled running an event ever. Mm. in the mix of it it was quite emotional at the at the start of the week just seeing people arriving at the hotel seeing old faces old mm. friends to come together and do something that's not important mm. but because of that takes up a huge importance after the last 18 months that all of us have had in different ways mm. um, so it's something quite poignant about it not to blow it up too much, but no, no I think I think you're right. I mean, they, yeah, I hundred percent agree because uh, you know you, you take these little things for granted. You know, going and seeing friends, and as you say, literally, it's people who some of us haven't seen for eighteen months. Like um, Michael, who my doubles partner of the weekend, I haven't seen since the March the. Uh, the, the desolation of Stockport, the, the last um, pre-COVID. pre-COVID event that um, would have happened. So you know, it's, it's those reunions, and and that is important. And and as you say, because of the travelling and all that sort of stuff, that people haven't been spreading their wings and going up to Scotland, and you know, for risk of breaking rules or, or gathering and all that sort of stuff. And it is important. So I mean, you know, and and you're you're going to be responsible for bringing so many people back together this weekend. How does that make you feel? Um, I guess I've not had that moment of self-reflection. There's just an awful lot of appreciation from from my perspective to the people that have made it here. Mm. I understand that you know this has been difficult, obviously from an organising perspective, but also for people to make that decision to come this year. You know, there will have been plenty of people who've made that decision who might be nervous. This might be their first occasion where they're getting together, you know, with other people, and we've we tried to be very conscious about that mm. uh, in terms of how we've set up the event. Some of it, of course, forced by the situation. Um, you know, so in that sense, it's just really nice to see it come together. And I think you hit the nail on the head before. You know, I think when you strip things back, it really does show you what's important. And that's the people and the friendships. And, um, you know, like I say, after the last 18 months that we've all had, mm. it's, uh, yeah, it makes you a little, bit, um, a little bit emotional. I have to say, when I was up on the stage and I saw everybody starting to play games, rolling dice, smiling, laughing, moving plastic and metal miniatures around the table yeah. talking about their games like you know oh this happened and this you know it that's it, that's really it's really special and, and at the moment it's nice to have the, the you know the worst thing in the world uh, i mean obviously the the uh, there are those awful things happening in the world still but like right now in our little microcosm the worst thing that happens is you know our, lo- our leader loses his horse or something like that and and it's nice to have those things to worry about rather than you know everything everything else that, that has been happening the last 18 months and obviously and um, you, you've touched on it already that everything's been so different there's been the deferrals for next year's event and and that therefore means uh, you know lots of people aren't uh, coming this year that maybe would have done the international contingent is is been decimated out of thought right down to the the bare bones so i mean how how does that i mean first of all how many people are going to be here do you know exact numbers at this stage i know we've got a couple of days left before the main event and you know how does it feel and no knowing that you know it is it is less than it's going to be usually (laughs) well of course it's made planning very hard Mm. you know it's made made planning hard um, I'm very proud of the fact that nobody's lost out. That was, and we spoke about this before, mm. that was a huge priority. You know, 
in terms of making sure that people can trust that you know, our, I guess our intentions as an event and what's important to us and the fact that anybody who needed a refund had the opportunity to get a refund and thankfully I have to say that wasn't a huge number and it was about a 50-50 split between deferring for 2022 and or coming to an event this year uh, but that's been ever-changing and to the point especially with international some of that has been flip-flopping quite a lot depending on not just our government advice but their government advice as well and we've just had to take that into account and rolled with the punches and I think I've always been quite clear what our priorities which is okay I think it's important and I think we spoke about this didn't we Mm. you know it's important to make something happen for people after the year and a half that we've we've had Mm. something tangible and even if the focus of that is getting together with as we've you know as we've just been mentioning and the importance of that getting together with old friends and doing something which uh, you know isn't necessarily the most important thing in the world which has its own importance Mm. You know, those were the priority. Making sure that people could come back into these environments where they're around other people, where they might be nervous, and and actually feel like, you know, what, you know, this does feel a bit normal. I don't, I do feel looked after. You know, like I say, we've we've taken that into consideration with the the way that the tables are and sanitizer and you know all of those types of things. Um, so in that sense, you know, it, it's understandable that we were gonna that we were maybe gonna go below. Uh, we were operating at about a third capacity. So we're expecting 80 people mm. for the for the main events, um, and that's changed, you know, even over the last four days. Yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. And you know, 80 people is is still an, an enormous tournament. I think it will be the biggest uh, in the GBHL so far, or, or thereabouts, uh, in, in sorry, in the in the whole of the UK, which is which is not to be sniffed at it's still 80 people getting together and and playing toy soldiers and once once the they, they all arrive um uh, in the next tw- 24 hours it will be it will be a hubbub i'm, I'm sure and and it's fantastic i i can't i can't wait for that kind of hubbub i mean it's the a, a smaller event uh, the this um spg system open which has again been decimated by the international travelers which uh, almost halved or, or even more than half of the field yeah. so we had we had 26 for this event um up until keep forgetting what day it is but up until about a week and a half two weeks ago um, because of course with it being a midweek event it was always going to be something which uh, would cater towards people who were traveling mm. um, and it did look like we were getting some good contingents coming across from america italy you know france even germany mm. you know some some of these countries um, were still going to be participating and that has obviously you know fallen away but it always could have happened yeah. um, you know and luckily even with the number that we've got now yeah, you know it's it's not what was expected but everyone seems to be having a good time that's always the most important thing it's given me room to make sure that i'm feeling comfortable with my own skeleton staff situation mm. this this year yeah because An- andrew um cox who uh, a beard clipper if you watch his youtube channel um he uh, he is uh, he's the the, uh, the sort of brains behind tawny the the online system that's used it and usually he's um, literally here with with baby and wife and they're sat, uh, sat behind the stage with a laptop and beavering away whereas this year he lives in bulgaria is it bulgaria or, uh, so he so he can't be here again which is a shame so it means that you're having to be the the the, not just the the b- brawn, but the, the the brains as well. <laughs> that that could be worrying, um, but luckily, luckily, you know, Andrew uh, has put a lot of thought into particularly responding to the community feedback. Um, you know, event by event by event, not just obviously the very very large 
Articon event that it was pretty much trialled on that scale at. Uh, and it seems to be very, 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 very simple and straightforward to use. There's a few little strange interactions, but I'm keeping feeding those back, and so it'll be better again next time. I guess that's the benefit of having somebody design something like that who's immersed in our community. And he's a very, very good example. Like you say, he's in Bulgaria. He was up until, again, about a week and a half ago, he was an attendee. I only took him off the attendee register on Monday. Mm. Um, you know, with it being confirmed that he definitely wasn't going to make it. So these are the kind of things that we've had to think about and make contingencies for. And I'm sure everybody's aware, you know, because of those types of, of thoughts and considerations that we've not been huge on the hype front. Everybody knows I love a bit of hype and, <laughs> and I love creating a buzz and excitement. But, you know, we definitely didn't want to be in a situation where we were promising things that just we couldn't deliver. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's very hard to hype up something when, when you don't really know whether it's definitely going to happen. I mean, it could have been an announcement in the last week and a half from the government saying, look, there's the, out, uh, you know, the omega strain of, of COVID. It's just, and, and it's spreading like wildfire and we've got to close, close everything down again. We just don't know. And, and I guess it's hard to then be like really getting everyone, everyone excited again after all the excitement of last year and after all the, you know, that... that and it's hard and it means that there's always going to be a slightly muted thing but then you kind of almost stumble into this excitement you like i've stumbled here and i'm like oh it's happening we're here it's exciting we're here now and it's great that we're here and and you know it, we've already seen a couple of a rob from the middle earth team he's arrived and and i know that jay claire from the middle earth team's gonna be here and he's gonna do a set a, a talk is that right and so there's loads of stuff happening and we might even get some teasers for new things at the at the weekend so this is this has become like and, and then suddenly you know from potentially thinking this is all might not happen in june july to thinking god it's 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 a hap- it's almost we've stumbled into this uh it's like alice in wonderland stumbling down the, the rabbit hole you've you've once again <laughs> as perceptive as you are harry have, have hit the nail on on the head and I, I do i do think that you probably one of the most emotional moments was when i saw tanya mm. Uh, in the in the in the bar she was the first first to arrive and at that point I very much thought okay no no matter what happens now it's happening and felt like with some confidence that I'd be able to start announcing because even if we ran a tournament you know PMG versus Tanya you know it's (laughs) still a tournament six games six rounds six different scenarios that (laughs) they can play chaos nards together they can play doubles with each other against me maybe I don't know but you know you, there was almost there was that thing of this is happening now yeah. and when you see the room sat up and the lighting and you can hear the music coming through mm. and though, though that that kind of brings along that buzz and I think that that has even though we have been a more intimate crowd for, for this this first sort of two-day event of the English SBG system open there is a real feeling of um appreciation there's a, there is a buzz there is an excitement there's a, a, a warmth amongst everybody that's here it's a really nice field of players in terms of you know where everybody is level wise and it's it's just coming together in 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 the most lovely way and i couldn't be more grateful and and uh, just so finally you know we're on the eve of the 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 main event but uh, as, obviously you, you'll you'll have a whole weekend of excitement and all the all the various different things that are happening but uh, there's next year now as well, and what what it, what's going to happen with next year? I mean, it, it's I'm guessing that it's going to be a slightly inflated field in some ways, and and slightly more difficult in some ways for you financially, for example, just just to, just because so many people have been deferring from 2020 all the way up here, and uh, you know, it, is it is it going to be full of um, full of people next year? Do you think, and and how's it going to how's it going to pan out? Do you think is it going to be okay? It it will be full of people. 
almost too full I'd have thought <laughs> after two I, years I think that we'll have 246 people without a shadow of a doubt because that's kind of already taken care of I imagine I don't think there's going to need to be much selling mm. of tickets uh, beyond after this weekend obviously one of our ways of thanking uh, the crowd who have made this happen by coming this week to what was clearly always going to be a slightly more muted occasion shall we say but that's only in contrast to obviously what we would normally do um and we don't want those people like yourself who've who've made that choice who've come down and got involved to be in a situation where you miss out next year so you're of course getting a an opportunity to buy your ticket in advance whilst you're here and if everybody does that which i can't see a situation where anybody wouldn't because you know these things go like hot hot cakes um i think that we could be in a situation where there's 10 tickets maybe available for next year and let's face it they're likely to go to system open winners because we've got a whole series of events next year now that does bring from my personal perspective obviously a few things which are a bit more difficult which means i'm gonna have to be creative in revenue generation mm. because of course um we were going to be okay for this year because we'd already sold so many tickets and there weren't a, a lot of uh, refunds which is a good thing but that obviously then hits next year because we don't have the tickets to sell at that point really so so yeah we're, we just hope that everybody really gets behind the raffle and mm-hmm. you know stuff like that um, and we'll work hard on the hotel uh, you know with the negotiation as well and we've got certain things going on with the rooms and, and deals that, that kind of are wound in again everybody else I'm sure isn't as interested in as, uh, as I am no no but it, it, it's interesting because I think people do like a little sneak behind the curtain and just, just knowing that that we can all support it next year in in so many different ways, and like you say, you know, getting the hotel room and 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 getting the little wristband that you get the discount of things, and and supporting the tuck shop and the bar and all that sort of stuff. Then then that helps your, with your hand in terms of getting the event on the following year in the same big room. So, well, James, either way, I know it's it's lunchtime and you're probably hungry, and I'm I'm hungry. So um, I'll leave you in peace. But um, I, I guess just thanks for putting it on and the year and a half worth of work to put this event on, um, and. I, I want to say thank you on behalf of the community for doing it because it's it must have been a gargantuan effort over the last year and a half. It's been tough. It has it has obviously been tough. You have we, we've had conversations, haven't we, mm. uh, behind closed doors and on and on this yeah. microphone and over the phone and stuff. Um, you know, and it has been a challenge, but I think it's important that we that we do our best and we rise to the challenge. And it's nice to see it coming together now. Whilst there has been uncertainty for this event, you know, it's it's also good to see that we have been able to. As you mentioned before, you know, Rob and Jay are here, you know, those are things, again, that we, they could have been pinged Mm. on Monday, Uh, you know, one of them could have come down with something and that might not have happened and same with the SBG magazine guys, they're doing their thing on Friday. Damien and Tom and uh, Matt Davis is doing Generation Shift bases as well on Saturday or something as well. Absolutely. So again, you know, these are things that are in the works and tied to that, of course, was the painting, the painting uh, competition, which we couldn't really announce would be happening. Um, yeah, just because there's, I've, and you mentioned the skeleton staff. It's you and PMG. The, that, that's it <laughs> like at the moment. I don't know whether you've got any more people coming, but we do. So we do have uh, Sam Page, our referee. Right. He'll be here Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and we'll have assistance behind the curtain on the Friday at least, um, just to sort of deal with the, I guess that initial explosion of people, surge of, of people. But yeah, it's a lot less people than we would normally have because we just can't plan and guarantee these things but next year where there's been uncertainty this year next year provides a huge amount of certainty maybe not financially uh, but in all other aspects so it really will be something else
Amazing. James, architect of Ardicon, well done. And uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. I hope it goes well. This is a fist, fist bump. Yeah, fist bump. Not, not great for the radio. High five would be better for the radio, actually. Yeah, here we go. There we go. <laughs> Game number five of the English SBG system open. And uh, we are playing Command the Battlefield, which, if you haven't encountered it before, is a one where you kind of have to control board quarters and there's like a dead zone in the middle. And I'm playing against Nick. Nick. It was a Maelstrom of Battle setup. You won the first roll. What was your army? And how did you think that things were going to pan out when we started the game? Yeah, so bringing Angmar, for me, Maelstrom's never something I really want to play. Yeah, because you've got so little might. I've got so little might, and I so rely on being in a little death ball with the Witch King and the Barrett Whites. So getting first priority, a little bit nervous, knowing you've got the chariot, mm-hmm. knowing if you get the right roll, run on straight through the orcs and getting Gulliver pop up somewhere else yeah on the other side of the board just wouldn't be ideal for me yeah but first turn managed to get everything on the same board edge and Gulliver got to stay in reserve I was going to say that's, that was actually even better for you so you got everything kind of roughly where you wanted which was nice um, and then Gulliver was in reserve as you say so he could move on at another point and I, was, I didn't know where he was going to land which is always nerve wracking having a uh, fight seven for attack flappy thing um, attacking you from behind but I got the first turn and I got all of my guys right in the, right in the perfect spot to threaten you in particular the chariot charge on the first turn because it doesn't count as charging so you can just move and trample stuff had a perfect line, beeline through three or four spear, spears stuff like that all defence four and then I was going to get Barry White and I, I lined him up perfectly. I rolled and I straight in and it's a two and a one on the first roll. So that and that was really disappointing. I didn't kind of think this is this is the be all and end all. But then of course I was counter attacked by I didn't have enough room to manoeuvre things, so I didn't get as much of a charge in the second turn as I'd want. All these sorts of things happened. And then of course you have the magic and the magic did a number on me. Yeah, the magic I think it's always a it's always a big advantage in matchups, especially when you can play evil versus evil. Because mm. a lot of the time evil armies don't have the same sort of magic defence that a good army does. So in that first turn, with the chariot whiffing, being able to get a paralyze off on the king, mm-hmm. even just for that first turn, to get some strikes in, hopefully do some damage, was key. And then with everyone turning up in this corner for you, mm. with the two horsemen and Amder on mounted. I wanted to make sure those horsemen were gone yeah. immediately. So, especially with the new FAQ change for Black Dot, charging into those two horsemen with the Witch King, Black Dot, Ang- Black Dot Amda off of his horse, mm-hmm. and then just run away, for me was the one thing that I really wanted to happen at the start of the game, because and then it, it, it hobbles you and keeps you in this corner. You did it perfectly as well, yeah, because I, I want to have Amda running around, I want to be able to kill a few walks a turn, but immediately lose the horse I mean I'm, I'm kind of tempted to every, every time I see a black dart just to dismount um, in, in the future just so I can actually get that charge off and do some damage in the first turn um, but yeah you, you also immobilised him I think um, a couple of turns later yeah. so Amda did very little um, and the Barrow White was absolutely outstanding he did all the work he paralysed Amda once and he uh, got the king once as well and um, it just meant that look, I was blunted twice in those crucial early stages when I really want to be going charge through, kill, you know, four, five, six, that sort of models before your warbands kind of could descend on me and before, crucially, Gulliver could descend on me. But I had an ace up my sleeve. So I thought, I've got a plan here. I've got a, a dragon knight and a drum and a cataphract and I've got a lot of fast-moving stuff. I had an idea. If I kill the Witch King early on, 
maybe kill enough of your guys with the chariot and the amder to break you eventually. I'll have the board quarters, which didn't quite pan out. But and the re- and I thought that was a reasonable enough strategy. Um, but I made a couple of stupid mistakes, and in particular, sending the war priest into Gulivar. Which sounds like a stupid thing when I say it, um, but I had I had like ten guys on Gulliver and a banner and all this sort of stuff, and I thought I might um, that this is the time that I'm going to trap him, I'm going to get him, and I could do it all in one turn and get rid of him. But of course, you rolled the six, and and then you just killed my war priest. Yeah, it was that was huge, especially to get rid of him so early, because for me, relying so much on terror, mm. the orc wall works because it causes terror yeah. with harbinger from two sources. Generally speaking, everywhere on the board, I've got a minus one. Fort yeah. needs to have a minus one. With Fury disappearing fairly early doors mm. from Gulliver. Yeah, probably th- third turn. So probably only one round of combat with the Fury or two, maybe. Yeah, so with with that gone, the Courage test just started piling up. So we had one of the turns in late game when Yuri Stillings didn't move. Yeah. Because I think everyone failed. I think it was I think it was about 11 or 12 Easterlings failed their courage checks. And I know you got the minus one, but I thought I'd get one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at least one or two. I was thinking, okay, I'll pass one courage check, I can get him into Gulliver, pin him down. One courage check to get him into um, the Witch King, to pin him down. And then I might be okay, because um, I had enough boys to then, you know, spread out and at least maybe do a bit more damage and stuff. But no, no, they all stood still, which was just depressing if I'm honest it was it's, and I, I, I always enjoy I always enjoy every game I play and, and you've been a fantastic opponent but that moment I just thought oh god just this can this just go home I just want to go home it was just so de- demoralizing and courage was a, a, a bit of an ongoing theme throughout the game as well it was yeah and I think that's the sort of turn that kind of broke the camel's back yeah so after Amder dying to the witch king when he was paralyzed yeah. because again Angmar player I don't really want a fair fight in any situation against a powerhouse like Amder yeah and then it just gave me the opportunity to move the Witch King in, get a couple of kills every turn with him, yeah. get Gulliver in, he can charge now, mm-hmm. which pulled the chariot down, which was very lucky on my part. Well, I, I mean, it, it wasn't very lucky. Uh, you charged him and you had him surrounded. I struck and I got the strike. I just didn't get a six. And, you know, on four dice, you probably... Sh- more often than not, but, you know, it's not it's not a done deal, is it? So but I, so I, I, I didn't mind that happening, but... Um, I, th- I think it was more that the, ch- the chariot did, like, I think he killed one orc. And considering the, the potential when you've got defence four spear sports that were, you know, sp- they were behind, so I was charging the back of them. I thought, I've, I'm going to have some uh, some luck here at some point, but it just, just never seemed to happen. And then um, you sent to a couple of wargs. So we're taking quarter. This is all happening in one eastern quarter. Um, and then you, you had enough guys to defend the sort of, uh, the, the, well, the kind of northeastern corner, and you had the southeastern corner. And um, you sent some dogs up to the other things, and that's where the drum and the cataphract and all that sort of stuff, two wargs. And I thought, right, okay, dra- I can get a cataphract and, and a, 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 a dragon knight into them, and I'll sort it. And I thought that I was going to be fine until uh, one of the wargs killed a cataphract. And and then the drummer failed his courage check in the last turn. So uh, in the end, I actually had only one quarter, um, and you doubled me in the other quarter, and you killed my leader, so I make an eight-two victory to you. So yeah, I mean, you could argue it was it was characterised by luck. If I was if it was that kind of person to complain about dice, I, I I probably could find the moments, but I can also find a lot of moments that I made stupid mistakes, which cost me. Yeah, it, it did, and I think for me. 
actually bringing everyone on in the in this corner mm. really played into my army mm. because I mean I didn't have to spread and at that point with the Dragon Knight and the Cataphracts on the other side of the board mm. I was quite happy to play the game of I'll hold two quarters you can have the other two mm -hmm. I'll pin you in a corner take your mobility away which the chariot helped me with getting rid of the cavalry early doors yeah it just it, play, it played right into the strategy that I wanted to sit with yeah maybe right if I'd have if I'd have spread it the whole army into all the different corners of the board and divided you up and then find I, I just thought if, if whichever corner Gulliver is going to go to he's going to kill everything in there eventually because I just don't have enough defence against him I don't have anything any kind of I mean yeah Dragon Knight I suppose all of my heroes are strikers so maybe maybe that would have been okay but yeah, actually, that would have been really good, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'm just working it out slowly. Yeah, he's a striker. Uh, so all of them would have been able to strike against him. So, yeah, I should have divided up completely. And that might have done the job. But I did I did think that if the if the first turn I, I had gotten, done the charge through, taken out the Barrow White, or at least charged the Barrow White at the very least, and that just didn't happen. And, and then I think maybe I put all my chickens in that eggs in one basket and it just failed. Yeah, I, th I think that's absolutely it. If the chariot charge had gone off on the first turn, totally different game absolutely fully different game because then you've broken out of that corner already mm -hmm. having everyone here doesn't actually then make as much of an impact as, mm. it, as it ended up doing yeah. because you, would, you wouldn't have been pinned anymore yeah. you've got the run of the land I've got a chariot in my backfield I've got to think about turning around to get that as well as fighting Amdur and a phalanx on the other front yeah. and it just makes it a lot harder I haven't got a back line to screen my spectres Barry White the Witch King that's the thing. If I, if, if I, I, I think my, my problem here is usually a, a, the problem I have is I'm Expecting thing these, I'm expecting like you say I've got a sixty percent chance or whatever of getting a four on those two dice that I hit that first beer, and then I'm expecting the same on the next two, and then I hit back barrel white. But actually, that's that's quite a lot of things that can go wrong there, isn't it? So uh, I, maybe I was I should have thought of a better plan B or made a better plan A. But either way, Nick, it's a pleasure. And you you won an eight two game, and uh, going into the final round, you've had two wins, is it? Two wins now, yeah. Yeah, two wins. Lost every game day one, and then I've had an 8-1 and an 8-2 okay. today. So. Well, well done on that, and uh, good luck in the next game, and hopefully uh, hopefully I can go into the final round and win something. Game number six, and I'm playing against Lewis. Lewis, how do you think the game went? Well, I think it went really well, but I'm not really allowed to talk to you because I work at Games Workshop making the miniatures for the Middle Earth team and my boss told me I'm not allowed to talk to you. Okay, well, if, if that's the case, then, uh, Lewis, just, you know, briefly, what are you working on? You know I can't tell you that. Yeah, I know. So, sorry, uh, but Lewis is a big fat no-no. Um, but I can vaguely remember the game. So, Lewis uh, was my final game. Uh, down on the bottom tables and we were vying to not be in last place essentially and uh, what happened was I had all my guys and he had a Hasharin, Suladan, Dalamir and an Orc Captain as an ally so an, a slightly unusual combination of green allies, I think they're all green anyway and um, it was assassination. So, uh, if you haven't used assassination before, this is where you choose a hero from your side, and they can't be your leader, and they have to kill a hero from the opposing side, which can't be their leader. So, I've got obviously some good, good hero assassination models: uh, the Dragon Knight and the King, and uh, he has Suladan and Hasharin, which are also pretty good. And what happened was. Um, when we you deploy pretty much uh, as close as you can, I think it was twelve inch deployment on. 
I was right up on the front line. And what I did was I, I waited um, carefully, carefully. I put my, uh, I think it was the the war priest first, because I thought that didn't matter. Then Amder, because he's the leader. And then I put the dragon knight, and then I put the king. And he he sort of sensibly moved stuff, and he kind of waited and, and sort of was wandering around, and uh, and he, he kind of put the... the, the uh, it kind of split his army really he put an orc captain on one side and a uh, and the Hasharin on one and the same side and then Suladan and Dalamir on the other and I thought you know what I'm going to do I'm going to deny the flank once more so what uh, happened in a similar way as against the dwarf king and Barlin and everyone else in that previous time I thought you know what I'm going to drum my way to victory here and that's exactly what I did I really did um, I drummed and I moved my whole army straight up towards the Hasharin and the Orc Captain. I think if he'd have swapped the Orc Captain and Suladan, or even Suladan and the Hasharin, we'd have had a very different game. But as it was, the Hasharin was leading six, uh, what do they call them, Serpent Riders? Or no, it would be the Haradrim Raiders, actually. So their Defence Four and their Defence Four Horses. And I had a king, and my king was aiming for the Hasharin. And he was basically, his only objective was go through those six Harajan raiders, or as many of them as possible, and kill the Hasharin. And that's that's exactly what I did eventually. I mean, it took a bit of time. I turned that it went straight through two of them, killed them both. Great stuff. Hit the Hasharin. Wounded him once on the, the impact hit, and he fated it because he's got a free fate. Then I struck up. He defensed. Good move on his part. I thought that was a really good move. And then he won the combat, which was annoying. And then he didn't didn't wound the king at all. Then uh, another turn. Uh, my my th- by this point, my Eastlings were swarming the twelve or maybe ten Moranans that he had with an orc captain. Um, the move went my way, which was lucky, but it meant that I just had thirty models against. 15 or something like that 10 of which were Moranans I had the pikes and I'd just block them in because I had the moves so I just pin them down and I just stack to the dice in my favour so this is where the phalanx really really came into its own I must say because um, just just even, even the strength 4 the defence 6 that he had I just stacked it and you know I could I could get the, the the acolytes in and they were they threw a, a couple of weapons and maybe one in total out of the four that I, I got in and then I got pikes behind them and I got pikes behind everyone because I was just so confident I was going to win the combats because I had the fight four and he had the fight three on the orcs and then and the cavalry and the um yeah the the Candish horsemen and the cataphracts and the dragon knight took the rest of his cavalry out of action so it was basically just massive block of pikes against something like 10 orcs and Amdu was just sat in the middle just being a banner for a long time not spending any money and doing anything and basically I just waited and I waited, two turns it took to kill the Hasharin because the Hasharin had a lot of, lot of fate, it's not bad in the first turn he defensed which was really smart, in the second turn he just survived and then the third turn I pinned him with a dragon knight, the king, and uh, one of the Candish horsemen, and he just dead. He dead. He dead. Done. Seven points to me because the king did the wound. And at that point, I thought, 
I'm sorted, right? I mean, what can go on? But, of course, by this point, I'd spent um, one or two points on the king and one point on the dragon knight, no points on Amda, and the priest had no points of might left. So I was really, really worried about my uh, priest because Suladan and Dalamir had only just gotten in charge range. I was protecting the priest very well, I must say. And then Lewis made a silly move. Because I said I said to him, just so you know, my assassin was the king and I've just killed the Asharin. Because I wanted to make clear that at that point, in case someone dispute, he, in case he disputed it later, I mean, I didn't think he was going to. He was a lovely bloke and he clearly wasn't going to. But in these sorts of situations, you, you never know. So I said, look, I've got the king. He's my assassin he, and the, I wanted to kill the Asharin and I killed it with the king. Even though the Dragonite and the Warrior uh, and the Acolyte or the, the whatever it was was in the combat. And he was like, oh, that's a shame. I chose it the other way around. And I was like, oh, so you wanted to kill the king? He was like, yeah, 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 I wanted to kill the king, but, you know, I can't anymore. I was like, oh, Lewis, um, just so you know, if you kill the king, you still get five VPs or three VPs or whatever it is. And he's like, oh, I didn't realize that. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. So now I, I was provided with this extra information that he didn't get, which was a big disadvantage for Lewis. And it's not the kind of information that you can ignore. It's not like, oh, I'm going to go, oh, well, now I know it. I'm still going to charge Dalamir every time, every turn with, with the king. So I was like, all right, OK, keep king out of the combats. And from then on, it was, a, it was tied up pretty much. If he'd have not to reveal that information I might have been more blasé with the king I don't think he would have died uh, but I certainly would be more cautious with the priest um, so it might have made made a difference I don't think it would in the end it was an 8-1 victory to me I got the 7 points for killing his leader with my assassin and I broke him as well and he broke me just on the final turn and I felt for him in many ways because it was a very uneven matchup not only were the six uh, serpent riders and Haradrim raiders with um, with the uh, Hasharin, there were like another eight on the other side. And those serpent riders, if they hit hard, they hit hard. But if there's a chariot around, they don't hit so hard. So Lewis was an, an amazing chap. He was really, really quiet, really gentle, really lovely bloke. And I tried inquiring questions about models. And you know how you do it. You think, oh, so what are you working on at the moment? Oh, you know, hey, hey, a minute. He was like, <laughs> I was like, he, he, he had, we had a bit of bounce about it, which is quite fun. Um, so, but it was nice, and I could tell he said some lovely models, some uh, lovely paint jobs. Especially Dalamir was a lovely, lovely chap. Um, so I, I'd imagine his models that he makes are going to be top, top tier. So hopefully they're going to be amazing Lord of the Rings models and Blood Bowl models, I assume, because that's how it all works these days. Uh, either way, Lewis, great game, eight-one victory to me. Finally, I got a second win for the tournament, which meant I only did the two. And I, I want to say I'm not disappointed, but I am disappointed, and I really am. I mean, you, you've heard it throughout the whole po- uh, a podcast. Um, I've I've taken notes for most of the games. Um, I'll leave through them now. So, it for Neil, he won. Four Four nil or two nil at the start. Uh, who else did I was playing against? And uh, that was Eladon and El here in Kurdan, and he won narrowly. Uh, then against Michael, 
I wouldn't narrowly. Oh, I lost the first game. I can't. Where's it? I've written it down. Anyway, the, either way, it was very close for that one. It was very close to the Michael game. I won it. Then I was pushed back up. And then against PMG, the, uh, the ringer, he won by, what was it, 8 3. So something like that. Anyway, and it was a very narrow victory, five more or something like that. And then Tom wouldn't be 2 0 against me. And then I, 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 I lost 8 2 against Tom. And um, uh, Nick, Nick, I lost eight one against or something like that. Anyway, either way, there's a lot. There's a lot of. Uh, sorry, it was Nick at the end um, uh, with the eight two, and I. I and then I just honestly, I I thought that I played really well. I genuinely do. I think I played. I played really well. There were a lot of big mistakes again and I always do this and I know I'm disappointing you and I'm really sorry because I I like to think that I had it I like to think that with with this many people in the tournament only 10 which I won't go into great detail because it's not fair on James to say that it was a it was a calamity and um, because there were originally 25 people due to the tournament on a Wednesday in midweek which is pretty good actually 25 people turning up for a tournament 15 dropped out because they're from international countries and there were changes in COVID rules from our country so they couldn't come and I felt really awful for that but so it was a bit of a small tournament a bit of a a small tournament Um, but either way it was a great tournament I didn't play anyone that I you know I I, I had lots of good games so it's good I just just feel like I let myself down I let you down I let the whole team down and I'm sorry guys but I feel like every single victory a loss was so narrow that I know how to do it I know how to run this Eastling army now I've had a tournament with it I'm only losing 100 points so I'm losing the dragon knight and two warriors or thereabouts and you know what I think I can do it I'm gonna do it guys I'm gonna do it look this time next week you'll have heard my conquest You'll have heard my Easterling army riding to victory in four out of six games. I'm saying four out of six. I'm not going to win it. I know I'm not going to win it. That's fine. Four out of six games, though. I'm predicting it now because I'm going to be on my top form. I promise you. I'm not going to drink too much on Friday. Not too much. And I'm going to try. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I've got. I've got some tricks up my sleeve. I know how to deploy... I know how it works. I'm not losing very many numbers. I'm losing a bit of might and a dragon knight. But I hope I'm not losing too much. I've got the acolytes, I've got the bows, I've got the chariot, I've got the amder, I've got the priest. It's all going to be okay. We'll see. Either way, with that very gargantuan effort of, of excitement, let's take us back a few seconds and find a real winner because I know you want to support someone to win. Let's have a chat with Sean, the winner of the tournament. And a clean sweep, our English SBG English System Open champion. That was a big mouthful, isn't it? Sean Lamb! So we now move on to the winner of the English SPG System Open, uh, Sean Lang. Hello, Sean. Hi. Hi, Ari. Nice to be on it. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Well done. On, congratulations on winning the tournament. It's a, a small tournament, but still, you've managed to win six games, so that's 100% of your games. 
56 victory points and a stonking victory point um, differential of 45. That's, how did you manage this? What did you do? Um, I'm not too sure myself, to be honest. Um, I was using the fiefdoms, and I'm pretty certain Imre Hill's banner made a big difference. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like stupidly long, so it covers the whole, whole of the battlefield. But um, walk me through it. Um, you, so you've got Imre Hill. What else have you got in for the 700 points? Uh, so Imre Hill is on his horse with his lance. He's got four knights with armoured horses and lances. We've then got four along the fat with his horse. Uh, he has five knights of Doamroth on foot and five men at arms. Uh, then you've got Angborn with four clansmen of Lamadon and five axemen of Lossenark. And then we have Dun here with four Blackroot Vale archers and four Blackroot Vale archers with spear. So you've got all the heroes, um, and uh, all the, sort of main ones anyway, and no captains or anything, but and it seems like you only have a smattering of the, of like the archers, for instance, um, and a smattering of, say, the men at arms, quite a lot of the, the men of Dol Amroth themselves. So, uh, how, how does it work as a list? What, what, what do you actually do with it, I suppose? How do you win? Uh, well, the strongest part is trying to keep everything together because it's a lot of 6-inch and 12-inch bubbles. Uh, the nuts of Diamond on foot, they are over-costed, but with their shields, you've got, uh, that's your only defence 6. After that, it's all defence 5. Um, generally, what I was doing was throwing clansmen in with pikes behind them or axemen uh, pinning in. But I got a few times I could shoot people with um, Dun here calling the heroic shoots and would give me reroll wound rolls. Mm. Um, and then the knights were coming around the flank to hit him with Imrahil, and Forlong would just kind of do his thing and chew for everyone. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much how the, it hits as a battle line um, altogether. If your opponent doesn't spread out, you're, you're on to a winner. And um, do you think the scenarios that we drew have, have helped you in that? Because um, there's only been one maelstrom out of six, and I guess because of the... Um, you know, the, the, most of them have allowed you to keep in your bubble, pretty much. Do you think that's helped you win? Uh, yeah, I think the missions did really favour me bar that last one because I was at higher model count as well than everyone I played. I played a lot of Rivendell, Elves and Last Alliance and Return of the King. That was my three opponents. Uh, so I was able to move into a position where I was spread out enough that I was still in all my auras, but too wide for them to be able to spread to fight me. So they would then bubble in and I could wrap around them. Yeah. So uh, it, it just that, that so it worked. So you, you still managed to get the win, and and you've played some tough opponents as well. Um, so I, w- was there any particular moments that you were proud of? What sort of any particularly clever moves that you, you pulled off? Like tips and tricks for for any other uh, Dol Amroth or Fiefdom players out there? Um, I think one of the biggest ones is on my second to last game. I had set pushed up aggressively with Axemen spaced out about an inch apart with Forlong and Angborn on there on foot um, Imrahil was on here was mounted behind and then Isildur and Elendil Eladan with his warriors charge fault um, were going to charge into me so I threw an Axeman to pin them both in place which meant he then struck and combated to try and push force his way out um, but I pulled a cheeky combat with Forlong that had an Axeman alongside him that then went and pinned Isildur uh, so that Isildur didn't get the strike uh, so he was striking but didn't get to combat out so then the twin who was going to go for Angborn now couldn't because Angborn had called his strike in his own fight um, that was probably one of my best moves oh that's, that's smart so, so yeah, blocking off the one with the strike and leaving the one with the combat to move on that, that seems smart and it seems I mean, although there were few people in the tournament it seemed like there were you know, quite uh, tough games or tough competitors, but but you're way out ab- uh, above at the top, uh, 45 plus. W- w- didn't were there all the games easy, or was it just you know that, that you've managed to 
pit the post most of the time? Uh, they they were all hard fights. Um, they Most of them came down to right near the end. It's just I managed to focus on the main objective and score that. Most of my games I scored the main objective and would either get lead or break. I just didn't tar- aim to go for the 12. I went for what got me the most points. And then after I managed to achieve that, then go, what's easier? Do I kill the leader or breaking? Generally was breaking because I think the leaders I fought were Gilgalad, Isildur, uh, Aragorn, and then Isildur two more times. So it was a ring, fight nine, and Aragorn with his stabby sword. <laughs> and, and in terms of the, the it's a two-hour um, game, did you finish them all, or, or was, it, was, it, was it timed out um, before the natural conclusion, usually? Uh, most games I finished with about half an hour to spare. Oh, wow. Um, the second last game was probably my closest, and we we went all the way to time. We had our last turn just as time was called, um, which I just pulled out the win because I I had a might advantage. One more, I saved a point of might, which meant I called the move, pinning him in place so he couldn't get onto the objectives. Um, but yeah, most of them I finished with plenty of time to spare. Uh, amazing, amazing. So now you, you, you win a free ticket to the rest of the event, or you get a refund, I suppose, because you're already here. Um, and, and then the main event is coming on uh, uh, later this week. Are you using the same army? Because I, I suppose it's 100 points less, so it's maybe not as pe- peak fiefdoms. Uh, I'm not actually. I'm using Moria Goblins. Mm. I've got uh, Durbers with four goblins with shield, four with spear, and a prowler. Um, and he's got a Wag Marauder. Then I've got Groblog with four shields, three spears, and a prowler. Um, a captain with the same warband as Groblog, and a shaman with two shields, two spears, and two prowlers. And then finishing off was a cave drake with five bow goblins and a bat swarm. So lots and lots of stuff there, including a cave drake right there at the end as he's slipping in there. But um, well done, Sean, on this. Hopefully, I'll be talking to you at the end of the weekend as winner of uh, the main event. How do you rate your chances at winning the whole thing? Because you do top tables quite often these days. Uh, thank you, Harry. Um, I'm not sure because the army I'm using I don't use as much. I mm. hope I do hope to do well. I don't generally try to aim for a positive win to loss if I can. Um, but hopefully you will talk to me. Hopefully, <laughs> fingers crossed. Good luck in the rest of the tournament. Cheers, Harry. Cheers. Thanks. Sean Lang there, and you heard at the start of that I preceded it with quite a gargantuan effort about how. Uh, you know, excited I was and how disappointed I was about the the the, the run I had in this tournament of I, I, games that I thought I played the right strategies and but I still lost. Um, but you hear there from Sean who who had an absolute stonking majority. He was the only person who won all his games, and he had like forty five or something plus VPs. So he was absolutely destroying the opposition with an army. I genuinely think I could have done all right against. Maybe I wouldn't have done. I, I, Immerhill's hard, but like generally, that's not all that hard. Amder could have taken the bloke with a the fat bloke with a spear out. I mean, that would have been all right. And then I got to my anyway. I, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe I'm just being silly. Uh, either way, Sean, you you smashed it by ev- uh, all accounts, and uh, I know that you you were a fantastic player. You've played against. The G, uh, you've won in the GT many games and and come top tier in the some of the finest tournaments in the uh, country. So well done on the win. You absolutely deserve it. Good luck in the Masters. Masters. I'll I'll just say it now. Masters isn't really the Masters this year. Last time, 2019, we had a, an epic journey following Kylie and her Masters tournament uh, from the Kylie from the Green Dragon. That's not happening this time. And I, I did think about following Sean because we've heard from Sean and we've heard his strategies and we've heard how he works, but it's not a Masters really because it's Sean 
against five other people. And it's round robin. And it's because all of these SBG system opens from around the world have winners who have won their various tournaments to, you know, deserve a ticket to get to Ardicon, the World Championships. And most of them aren't there. <laughs> so uh, ne- next year is going to be an epic one, and I will hopefully follow Kylie or or someone um, of, of, of high calibre into the Masters. Maybe I'll win a ticket in the way in. I don't know. Uh, either way, I, that will be next year. This year, we're going to have another episode. Hopefully, I think it'll probably more likely be Monday. Uh, so Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday next week, I'll have the doubles and the Chaos Nada, if I could have time to chat to some people from the Chaos Nada. And we will have the main event coming sometime next week. If you're driving on the way to Ardicon and you're hearing this in the car right now because I've uploaded it in the morning, good luck. I wish you good fortune. And we'll also be hearing from the Entmoot team in uh, a couple of episodes' time. I'll be chatting to all them about their armies and we'll see how we all fare in the long run as a team. Because you never know, even if Entmoot can't bring you victory in the shape of me winning tournaments, maybe the people I've chosen to send us all to victory will do the deed. With that in mind, see you next time. Boorarung. <laughs>